Great to see all of you here today, and if this happens to be your very first time with us, man, welcome. My name is Joe, and I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am so happy you're here. I hope you come back and do this all over again with us. Hey, um, last, or yesterday, I sent out an email to the entire church, a really quick one. Did you guys get that email about downloading the app? Hopefully you did that. If you did, would you take out your smartphone and, or your iPad, whatever you brought, and would you open up the church app, please? I wanna, it's gonna look like this. And if you didn't quite download it yet, you can still do it because what I'm going to tell you here is going to be good till 1 o'clock today, okay? So you have a little bit of time. Just don't do it during my sermon. All right, right now, but not in the sermon. <laughs> so um, if you open your app, you're going to see it's going to open to a screen like that. I don't know if you guys can all see that. But on the very top left icon, you're going to see poll. Do you guys see that? Poll, poll. If you could click on that, and when that opens up, let me, let me tell you what this is about. This has to do with Easter weekend, which... Easter is right around the corner for us, and let me just tell you what we think is going to happen. We believe that God's going to send 2,000 people here on Easter weekend. That's what we believe is going to happen. Everything points to that. Um, and you see our room, and you see how tight we are in here? <laughs> Obviously, we can't get 2,000 people in here. We already have four services. You know, people are talking about the revival in Kentucky. There's a little revival happening here in Northwest Arkansas, too, you know? <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. So we want to be able to accommodate everybody coming here for Easter, and uh, we have to add services, change the service times, we have to do all of that. So here's what would help us out a whole lot. Um, when you open up that poll, you're going to see a whole bunch of different service times. That doesn't mean that these are the service times, but we'd like to hear from you, especially those of you in this service, because this one and Saturday night at five are going to be like our fullest services all the time. And so what I'd like to hear from you, what we would help us out as we determine what service times and to, to land it. Where would you go? Okay, if you had to decide right now which service you would pick out of all of these times, which one do you gravitate to the most? Now, I want to talk a little differently to this service because this one is very large. If you were like, you know what? I don't have to come to the 10 o'clock service on Easter. I might choose this one instead. That's what we want to know. All right? Now, if you say, no, 10's where I go because it works good for my kids and that, that perfect, perfect with us. But let us know. We're going to populate all that information, and then I'm going to sit down with our team this week, and we're going to lay out probably six or seven services around the times that we think will be the best that we can nail. But let's just be honest. It's going to require some flexibility from some of us, and, and, um, but that's what's going to happen. We truly believe everything's trending that way. And let me tell you, it's going to be a powerful, powerful Easter weekend, and God is going to do something incredible that weekend. I absolutely know it. So thank you for participating in that poll for us. That will be open to 1 o'clock today, and then we're going to shut it off because we don't care what people think after 1. <laughs> All right? It's bottom line. We only care what people think about before 1. Hey, please open your Bibles to Exodus 19, please. That's where we're going to be today. And while you're finding Exodus 19, let me just remind you, we've been in a series through the book of Exodus, and when we first started it, I called this series Rescued, Rescued. And that word rescued really does capture what Exodus is all about. Now, there could have been a lot of words we could have attached to it. We could have attached deliverance or freedom or freed or, or set free or anything like that. There's a lot of words that would have described the book of Exodus. And these first, teen, first 18 chapters for sure um, are described that way. But now we are moving into the 19th chapter. And even though rescued, it's good for the whole book, there could be some other words. There could be some other phrases that we could attach to this series that would identify or really define what the rest of the book of Exodus is all about. And if I was going to attach a phrase to the rest of the book of Exodus, or an acronym or something like that, it would be this, D-T-R. 
Do you know what DTR stands for? DTR stands for define the relationship. Okay, because that really, where we're heading is all about God defining the, the relationship between he and the Israelites. And let me just tell you, every relationship, no matter what the nature of that relationship is, whether that be romantic or professional or friendly or whatever, every relationship eventually has to have the DTR. You have to define the relationship. We need to know what this is about and where this is going you know, for example, let's say, you know, a young couple, they start to like each other, and like, they, they, they spend some time together, and maybe they go on a few dates, maybe a nice movie, and, and go out for dinner, or something like that. There reaches a point where they're like, I like spending time with you, and you like spending time with me, and eventually we have to do what in those things? We have to define this relationship. What are we? Where is this thing going? And they have the DTR. We're going to define this relationship. When my wife, Kirsten, and I first started liking each other back in college, I mustered up the courage to ask her out one day. And to my surprise, she said yes. I asked her to go see a movie with me. She said she'd love to go see a movie with me. And so I was thinking, man, it's got to be the right movie. It's got to be the perfect movie. It, it can't be a cheesy movie, but it can't be all blood and guts. And it's got to be uh, romantic, but it's got to be good drama. And, and I started to look at all the movies that were available the, the night that I asked Kirsten to go on a date with me. And so, I, I, and you can rib me for this later. <laughs> Our very first date, I took her to see... G.I. Jane. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. Even, tell, even saying it, even saying it, it's embarrassing, okay? <laughs> there were a few moments in that movie, I was like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here. But, but um, we survived that first night and, and she went out with me again. And uh, we started spending more, more time together. And, and those first few weeks, I was thinking, man, she's pretty cool. She's a pretty cool girl. And those first few weeks, she was thinking, okay, and on our wedding day, we're going to do this. And we're going to, no, no, she, no, she it wasn't quite that. But I remember uh, a little bit of time into that early days of that relationship, we had our DTR. I don't remember how it came up or, or who brought it up first, but I do remember we had a conversation one night and, and, and eventually it came out. So what are we? And I think she said something to the effect of, so are you my boyfriend? Am I your girlfriend? What are we? I'm like, oh, we're having that conversation. <laughs> and I said, I responded to her by saying this. Again, I think I've grown a lot since this moment in my life, but <laughs> I said, well, I guess I would define us as good friends. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know it's a miracle I'm married today. <laughs> but, even, but even through all that, what became apparent over the next couple of months is that, hey, I think this thing's got the, the legs to go the distance till death do us part. And we fell madly in love with each other in the months ahead. And, and I guess the rest is history. And I'm happy to tell you, I'm still head over heels over this woman 25 years later. Absolutely. Absolutely. The DTR. 
Let me tell you, in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus, God is about to have the DTR with the Israelites. God is going to set the terms of this relationship between himself and Israel. Now, up to this point, these first 18 chapters, you know, God has delivered the people from slavery. They've seen some amazing things out of God. They've seen his power on full display. But the terms of this relationship... They've not really been laid out just yet or made clear. They've gotten some glimpses of what this God is like, but they don't know him yet, really, and they don't know what, really, this thing is going to look like. So in the upcoming chapters of Exodus, God is going to establish a covenant with the Israelites that defines the nature of their relationship moving forward. Now, next week, uh, we're going to study what is perhaps in the book of Exodus, perhaps even in the whole Bible, Um, what are considered some of God's most famous words. We know them today as the Ten Commandments. And God is going to say this to the Israelites. He's going to say, I'm the Lord your God um, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he's going to tell them, you're not going to have any other gods before me. You're not going to make for yourself an idol. You are not going to misuse my name. You're going to keep the Sabbath day holy. You're going to honor your mother and your father, and you're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal. You're not going to lie, and you're not going to covet. These Ten Commandments. If you're a King James person, all of those start with thou shalt not words. Side note here, have you ever taken the time, I mean really, taken the time to sit back and ponder what our world today would be like, what our society would be like today if the majority of our, of our countrymen would take the Ten Commandments seriously today? Have you ever wondered what that would be like? I mean, really think about it. Just think our own community here in Bella Vista, 50%, 75%, 100% of our community strive to live by the Ten Commandments. How much better would our society be? I would argue a lot better. As great as these commandments are, were, still are to this day, uh, but especially in light of what you take in the New Testament, um, you take it all and you understand that they can all stand by themselves, every one of them, but they were not given in a vacuum. They were actually given in a context of something else. What was the context of God giving the Ten Commandments. He is defining the relationship between him and Israel. And let me tell you, it is absolutely essential for the Israelites to know the God who gave the Ten Commandments. And it's essential for us too, to know the God who gave the instructions in God's words and what we're to follow. And that, my friends, is what chapter 19 is all about. So let's just start unpacking this together. We're just gonna walk down verse by verse. I think you're gonna find it fascinating if you haven't read it before and uh, enlightening uh, with some truths that we're gonna pull out of this today. So look at chapter 19, verse one. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they had set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So, it's been hinted at throughout the book of Exodus, and they've finally made it. They have arrived at the mountain of God. And what's really important for us, I think, to understand out of all this is that when they arrive at this mountain, it is the fulfillment of God's promise to Moses. Back in the early part of Exodus, God called Moses out of a burning bush. And God told him what? I'm gonna bring you back to this place. Now, imagine that. Moses, 
the entire time. If he believed God's words, which I know he did, then he knew that when he stood before Pharaoh and endured the plagues and told the Israelites with confidence that we're gonna go and God's doing this, he always knew what? That early on God promised him, I'm bringing you back to this place. He knew he wasn't gonna die. He knew that it wasn't gonna stop him. God was gonna do this. So this right here in Exodus 19 is a fulfillment of a promise of God early on in the whole Exodus experience. I've talked a little bit here and there these last few weeks about the real Mount Sinai and how people are searching for it. And I've tried to tell you that nobody can say with 100% certainty which mountain is this mountain. Um, we don't know anything about it really. Other, like We don't know if it was like a giant mountaintop or if it was more of a hill. We, we don't know the dimensions. We don't know the height. We don't, there's a lot of things that we don't know. But what we do know, and what I can say with great confidence to you here today, is that what happened at this mountain was both awesome, extremely awesome, and absolutely terrifying at the same time. We don't know a whole lot about the dimensions or the height, but what happened there was really awesome. And I would just say, from this chapter, extremely awesome, extremely terrifying. I, I try to think about experience today. What could I classify today that any of us could experience that would be extremely awesome and incredibly terrifying at the same time? And I thought immediately, jumping out of a plane. <laughs> to me, jumping out of a plane, I've never done it. But what I think is it would be extremely terrifying and extremely uh, awesome. Now, who are all the crazy people in here who have ever jumped out of a plane? Let me see you. There's more crazy ones here than I thought. Um, I see a lot of you guys. How many of you did that because you were in the military? All right, thank you guys for that. You, uh, thank you for jumping out of a plane for me. That, I'd love to hear about it sometime, but for me personally, I don't have any plans to jump out of an airplane, but that would be extremely awesome and extremely terrifying at the same time in my book. But then even when I think about it compared to the awesomeness and terrifying moment that we're going to read about here in this chapter, I don't even know if that compares to those level of emotions and that pendulum swing. Um, I mean, it's, it's really something. I think about how incredible the parting of the Red Sea must have been to see for those that were there. But even as incredible as that was, it is not as incredible as actually hearing the voice of God. And that's what they're going to hear at this mountain. They are going to audibly hear God speak. Awesome. Terrifying. As incredible as it would be to walk outside of my tent every day and pick up my daily bread for the, for the day and to get water from a rock, I don't think that's nearly as awesome as standing at the base of a mountain that God descends upon in a thick cloud that's accompanied with lightning and thunder and a trumpet blast of God that it was so much fire and smoke that it billowed out the top of this mountain like a furnace. As awesome as what they've seen, I don't think it's as awesome as this or nearly as terrifying. That's the backdrop of when they hear God's voice out there in the desert. It's an incredible place. I understand why people are trying to figure out where all this happened. But I would argue today that finding the real Mount Sinai is not nearly as incredible as actually knowing the God who made that mountain tremble. You hear me, friends? As much as it would be really cool to say with 100% confidence, oh yeah, that's the mountain of God in Exodus. Doesn't even come close to you and I today knowing the God who made it tremble one day. 
If I had a choice, I'd rather know the God than the mountain. Wouldn't you? I would. So they arrive at this mountain of God, and God says, Moses, you get on up here to the top. We need to talk. It's time for us to have the DTR. We need to start defining this relationship so all will know. So let's look at verse 3. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And I'm just gonna say what I hope is obvious. These few verses are loaded with what God is saying and these conditions of this relationship. There are those that would argue that these few verses in Exodus 19 are the most important verses in the entire book of Exodus. They are powerful. I'll do my best not to spend all of our time on these few verses today. The first thing God says to Moses is what? Remind the people of what I've done for them. I rescued them. What I love about these verses is that they give us God's point of view. It's like God saying, this is how I see things. Now, there are a number of places in the Bible that it's written just like that. This is God's point of view. This is how God sees things. And I hope you pay very close attention as you're reading the Bible to these scriptures that say, this is how God sees it. Because don't you want to know how God sees things? And if God sees it one way, don't you want to see it the same way? This is God saying, Moses, this is how I see it. And what did God say? He says, the way I see it, I carried the Israelites, all of you, out of Egypt like on eagles' wings. Now that is a powerful image, isn't it? God's like, I loaded them all up on the backs of eagles and off they went, untouchable. I'm kind of a Lord of the Rings nerds. Anybody like those movies? Love them, love them. The Hobbit, all of it. Now let's be honest, they didn't need six movies to tell that story, but it's awesome, all right? It's awesome. I love Hobbits and Middle Earth and the ultimate destruction of evil. What's not to like? There are moments during those movies where eagles fly in and they always fly in to save the day, all right? And there's this really powerful moment in one of the Hobbit movies, the very first one, where the, the hobbits are about to bite it. Or not the hobbits, well, one hobbit was with them, but uh, the, the dwarves were about to bite it. And the eagles come in and rescue them and fly them on the backs of eagles to freedom and, and to rescue. Do you guys know this? This is the scene right here. This is the scene. Somebody asked me, Joe, is that what you look like when you used to have hair? And I'm like, very close, very close, very close. And let's be honest, the movies really only need about 10 minutes long. Bad guy, ring of power, get Frodo on an eagle, fly to the mountain of doom, toss it in, game over. That's it, that's the movie. But 12 hours later, that's it. I want to know how God sees things, don't you? And as God looks out at these Israelites, he's like, this is how I see it. I, I put you on the backs of eagles, and I flew you out of Egypt, and you were untouchable. This is a very good picture, I believe, of what God has done for each of us, too. No, not delivered us from slavery in Egypt, but very much delivered us from the slavery of sin. We very, very clearly learn this truth in the New Testament. 
that, that we have a sin problem and we don't have the ability to rescue ourselves. We're very much in bondage and we need God to swoop in and rescue us. That's exactly what we need because we're, our condition is very much like the, the Israelites in Egypt. They don't have the ability to free themselves. We don't either. But in our case, our rescuer, whose name was Jesus Christ, the perfect one, who sacrificed himself, died on the cross, rose again for all the sins of the world. And in doing so, he was like our eagle who swooped in, put us on his back, and he's gonna fly us to safety. Friends, very much how God still sees our condition to this day. I believe our rescue is very similar. So if you look in verse five, what does he say? Now that you've been rescued, let's talk about our relationship. And what's he say in verse five? We'll reread it together. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. God makes them a promise. I'm gonna make you a holy nation. I'm gonna make you a kingdom of priests. And friends, that had to, been sound, that had to sound pretty good compared to their condition just a few months before this. Slaves in Egypt making bricks. From that to a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is quite the pendulum swing. That is very, very good news. But it is very much at the same time conditional. Conditional. If, if, if they do what? If they obey God fully and keep the conditions of this relationship. Now, in case you don't know this, I, I'm happy to tell you, but it's exactly what we are called to be today as Christians, the New Testament speaks about our relationship with God in the very same kinds of language. In the New Testament, we are called up to be a kingdom of priests, or what we might say, the priesthood of all believers. You and I, today, the church is called to be a holy nation unto God. So our condition today and the condition then is not that dissimilar when you think about the descriptions of how God sees things. Now, we learn this from a lot of places, but like the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who went on to be a leader in the church once it got started. He was teaching the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and listen to what he says. He goes, as you come to him, the living stone, that's another word for Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is what God is building out of all believers, a spiritual house, to be a what? To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then a few verses later in verse nine, it says this, but you, the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, what I want you to see is that God's desire is still very much the same. Now, much has changed since the Exodus, since the old covenant that we are just now starting to learn about in its infancy right here. But much hasn't really changed either. What hasn't really changed is how God sees things. 
God still desires a holy people. God still desires a royal priesthood who declares the praises of him and, uh, and, and who saved us through the ages. That, that is what God still desires. So here in chapter 19, God's defining the relationship. These are the terms. And what we must understand very clearly, because we have to understand this, if the rest of the Old Testament and on into the New Testament is going to make a lick of sense at all. God is calling them into a special relationship. He is not calling them into an open relationship. Very key distinction. This is our relationship, and it's not an open relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people. I will love you, you will love me back. You are gonna be a holy, sanctified, set-apart people out of which I am gonna bring the Savior of the world. That's the DTR. That's who we're gonna be. That's it. If you look at verse seven, here's what happens next. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord commanded him to speak. In other words, Guys, God and I just had a DTR. That's define the relationship. He told me how we're going to be. And here it is. He lays it out for him. Verse 8, all the people, that would be all two million of them, responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to God. And it feels like right here in chapter 19, for the very first time since the Exodus started, that maybe, just maybe, everybody's on the same page. Because what have we heard for chapters after chapter? Grumbling, complaining, why'd you do this? It's better in Egypt. This is insane. We're gonna die out here. And then all of a sudden, we will do it. If this is our relationship, we'll hold up our end of the deal. Well, sadly, if you've read ahead, then you know the Israelites always had struggles with holding up their end of the deal. Just like you and I at times have struggles, fall in temptation, and need to seek God's repentance and mercy. So God laid out the terms. The relationship's been defined, starting to become defined. And then this is what happens. Like, look at verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, which is just another name for the mountain of God. And he'll do that inside of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. So I would say God's pretty serious about this boundary, wouldn't you? No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Now God is about to, to make his presence known here in just a moment in the text in a way that the Israelites have not seen yet. They've seen a lot, but they ain't seen nothing yet. 
They will begin to see for the first time truly the awe-inspiring holiness of God and it needed some preparation before they were ready. This is not a pillar of cloud. This is, this is not the parting of the Red Sea. This isn't water from a rock. This isn't bread from heaven. No, 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 This is absolutely the presence of God showing up and they haven't seen anything yet. Now before he does it, they have to consecrate themselves. That's just another word for make clean, make holy. And the way they could do that is by washing up, washing their clothes, abstaining from sexual relations. They are to prepare themselves for the third day. And yes, there are allusions to this third day concept all over the Bible. We won't get into that right now. But if you're thinking third day, where have I heard that before? Does that mean something? Yes, it means something. They were preparing themselves for an almighty, powerful showing up of God on the third day. So God told Moses to consecrate the people, and then I want you to put a boundary all the way around the mountain. In other words, there's going to be limitations put on the people for how close they can come to me. Limitations. And even though they'd washed for three days and they prepared themselves, they are still not in a condition. There is still something. They cannot approach a holy God right now. They cannot touch the mountain where I am gonna be and still live. So when God comes down on this mountain, it becomes a holy place. And in a very dramatic way, God is teaching the people that there is distance between a holy God and an unholy man or woman. This is a visual demonstration. No, 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 there is still something not right between us. It is not completely resolved. We're gonna define the relationship, but there's steps towards a solution. And right now, you are unholy, I am unholy, and you gotta keep your distance. Now, this kind of dramatic visual separation, it will continue after they leave Mount Sinai. Um, they will build a tabernacle, and it will still continue that way. They will eventually build a permanent temple, and there will still be separation and it'll be that way until Jesus comes. Now, more on that later. But Exodus 19, verse 16, here's what happens next. On the morning of the third day, so in other words, they prepare themselves, they got ready. On the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Can you imagine hearing that? A trumpet blast from nowhere. Who's got the horn? No, no, no. It's being blasted from heaven. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And everyone, all two million people, heard it. That's why I said with a lot of confidence, they hadn't seen nothing yet or heard nothing yet. The Lord descended, verse 20, to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as 
holy. Now, this, let's be honest. Can you agree with me? This would have been an incredibly, incredibly awesome thing to witness. At the same time, equally terrifying thing to witness. Thunder, lightning, thick cloud of smoke, loud trumpet blast from heaven, the entire mountain shaking so violently and smoke coming up out of the top. I'd imagine they're wondering if the whole thing was just going to explode like Mount St. Helens or something. It's, it's terrifying. And on top of all of it, that's what they saw. But more so, it's what they heard. They heard God's voice. And that right there, my friends, is the context that is the scene in which God delivered the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know what your impression was from movies or whatever of like how God gave the Ten Commandments, but I'm telling you, I'm building the picture for you. This is the scene. This is the, 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 the backdrop for when God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery, and you shall not make for yourself, or worship any other gods, or make an image, or misuse my name, or murder anybody, honor your parents. God's like, I'm gonna define the relationship, and this is the setting for it. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about the Ten Commandments, and we're gonna find out that uh, after this, the people begged Moses, we don't wanna hear God's voice anymore. It's too much. But that's next week, and I hope you'll come back, be part of it. Now, I'll tell you, for me, and I, I've tried to be very open with you and honest, that there's so much for me, so many takeaways and relevant moments in the Old Testament that speak so much truth into my life today, trying to live as a New Testament Christian. There's a lot here in Exodus 19, but I'll share two, two really big takeaways that hit me right, right here. And the first one is this, what God desires out of a relationship has not changed. It's not really changed at all. What God's seeking, his point of view, and we talked about this just a little bit, but if you review this chapter later and you see how God defines his relationship with the Israelites, isn't that what he also desires with you personally? I've rescued you from the bondage of sin. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees our condition. I rescued you. Now, follow me and obey me. That's the DTR. That's what I want out of my people. Uh, I, I want to be your God, and I desperately want you to be in my family. I want you to be a part of a holy nation that I see. I want you to be a part of what I would consider a royal priesthood, a, a holy people. What, what God desired here in the Exodus from the Israelites is what is repeated in the New Testament. God said, I'm gonna give you Israelites a home all your own. We call it today the promised land. And he indeed gave it to them, he did. And at the same time, God wants to give you a promised land too. You think all this is for nothing? You think all of this leads to nowhere? No. God's like, I've got a, I got a place for you. And it's better than anything you can ever imagine today. It's, it's a promise. Even Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare it for you. And if I go prepare it for you, don't you think I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be where I am? And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? No, 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 God's gonna give you, this is his point of view. I'm gonna give you your own promised land. It'll be better than anything you've ever seen. And friends, I don't have anything in this world that can even come close to comparing to what it would be on that day, what God's gonna give me. And heaven forbid, I let anything in this world stop me from getting there. Same should be for you. This is God's point of view. And it's really not all that different than what he had for the Israelites of old. Much has changed since then, but so much really hasn't either. Here's my second big takeaway, and it's this, that we, you and I, the church today, we have even more reason to stand in awe of our God, even more. Now, we're reading about remarkable things, but you and I have more reason to stand in awe of our God. Do you know why I know this? Do you know why I can say that with great confidence? It's because you and I no longer have to stand back away from this mountain of God, so to speak. We don't have to do it. We can walk right up and be with him. How? Right through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ pushed the boundaries out of the way and opened the door right to our Father. As I mentioned a moment ago, as we were talking about these boundaries around the mountain, why did God put those there? God put limits to his presence. Moving forward, as we track with the Israelites, they will build a tabernacle, this movable tent where God's presence was with them, but they had a fence around it. You cannot come near. Later on, they will build a permanent temple. And there will be a veil that separates what's called the Holy of Holies and the rest and only certain priests could come close. And only once a year the high priest could ever go beyond that curtain into the very presence of God. And all of this shouted out very loud, you keep your distance from me. Because I'm a holy God and you are unholy. And we're going to learn a lot about the nature of this relationship, about what sacrifices and this and that to help bridge that gap. But even through all of this, there was distance. Keep your distance. But not now. But not now. Under the new covenant, the one that Jesus bought with his own blood, the very thing that we celebrate every week together when we eat the bread and drink the juice, and we celebrate Christ's death on the cross and the bringing of this new covenant, this nearness to God. The, the New Testament says, for the Son of God became flesh to dwell among us, 1 John 1, 14. The very coming of Jesus, what do they call him? His name shall be Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And by his death and resurrection, I can tell you that Jesus very much opened the way to the very presence of God. Read Hebrews chapter 10, the whole chapter. Maybe over the whole New Testament, there needs to be some kind of banner or some kind of um, theme that says, let us draw near. Now, I don't think this means that we uh, become irreverent or treat God as if, you know, we'll pull God out of our hip pocket whenever we need him. No, 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 no. We still approach the Lord with great reverence and fear and respect and awe I would never recommend anybody approach God flippantly in their prayer time or in worship here at all. But there are no boundaries now. 
And it's what God wanted all along. God didn't create sin. God fixed it. The writer of Hebrews, when you read the book, Hebrews is a powerful book of the New Testament, by the way. But if you read Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews will give a head nod back to Exodus 19 and clearly explains the difference between then and now. And we'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Just listen to this. This is in the New Testament. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken. What's he talking about? He's referring to Exodus 19. He's referring to this moment that we've been studying. Verse 20, because they could not bear what was commanded, even if an an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that, is better, that, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So much is different today. And yet nothing is different today. God desires with you what he desired with the Israelites. A relationship. That you'd be as a priesthood of believers offering worship and sacrifice and praise to him. All of us are called to that. A holy people. A holy nation. The church must stand apart from the world. The church cannot look like the world or we stop being the church. The church cannot behave like the world or we no longer represent Christ. The church is set apart. It's different. It's what is to be the example of what an unholy world looks at and says there's something different about those people. So much has changed, but nothing has changed. So friends, I don't know where you're at with your walk with Jesus or what your impression has been about what the Lord wants, but I'm telling you as clearly as I can see in Scripture, this is God's point of view. And the only person today that is keeping their distance is you. That's it. So the question I would like to leave you with is this. What are you allowing in your life today to hold you back from God? He's not holding you back. You're holding yourself back. And what a shame. It would be a shame to trade anything in this world for what the one the Lord wants to give us. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let me pray for you. Lord, as always, as always, as always, I just thank you for your scriptures. And Lord, I pray that what we hear today is the words of the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds and Lord, really help us understand your points of view. And Lord, what you desire from us today. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room or anybody watching online or who might ever see this today or years to come. That Lord, right now, that you'll open up our minds and our hearts 
that Lord, should there be anybody within earshot or wherever, they're not walking with you, Lord. May this be the day that they just say, God, I am sorry for wanting to do it my way all the time. Oh, Lord, I repent because I don't want to trade something in this life for something that is to come. I don't want to give up what you have prepared for something that I think is a, that I need right now. So, Lord, I would just pray. If that applies to any of us, that we would just repent. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know, but now I know. No, I've made mistakes, but I'm sorry. And Lord, could today be the day that a new chapter in their life story that starts to get written? Oh, it's a better chapter. It's the one with the happy ending. So Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be anybody that would not desire what you desire and would not take the steps to ensure that they will too be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, part of your family. Lord, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, I'm grateful, we're grateful that that came with a whole lot of mercy, a whole lot of grace, a whole lot of forgiveness. Lord, I just pray that we walk with you every single day in faithfulness. In Jesus' name.